Yeah, just start it. Yeah. Welcome to the Indie Setup. My name is Sean Foster. I'm your host and we're brought to you by Shape House Productions. With me today is actor, writer, director, Eileen Jones. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me here. Oh, no worries. No worries. Now, um... You got a bit of an interesting, uh, interesting predicament you're in, but at the moment. But we'll get to that later. First, we want to find out about you. Tell the people who you are. What's your story? What's your journey? What do you do? Wow. Okay. That that's a big question. Just yeah, I know. I mean, um, dive in there. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, as you said, butter director. I did a bachelor of performance at what was the Australian Academy of Dramatic Arts. Yep. Now AIM Dramatic Arts. So spent two years doing drama stuff. Came out of that. Wanted to do stage management. After two years of that, I was like, no, I'm good. Um, and then <laughs> went into writing and directing my first show, Life's Contracts. I feel like that's a lot of people's response to stage managing. They just kind of do it and then they're like, that's enough. Yeah, that's enough. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it for a long time, but then you just get to a point where you go, you know what, I need to get back to writing, mm. doing what I love. Is that what you feel like your main thing is, writing? I think so. Mm. Um, I always seem drawn by it and it's something I can just get into. Yeah, yeah. Do you think um, people need to have a main thing? Because often you hear about people who are um, actor, writer, director, um, stage manager, producer, all this and that, like... Is it necessary to put yourself in that hole? I think it's nice to have something that you're really passionate about, mm. something that you can keep sort of close to you and use. And, you know, I my first show I wrote, directed, stage managed, designed and all of that. Good Lord. <laughs> it was hectic yeah. and produced. Um, and that was insane. It was great. But I really needed that writing aspect to sort of hold everything down Yeah. as an anchor. Um, if I didn't have that, I think it would have been 10 times more stressful than it was. Because it's different inventing it as well, knowing it from its birth and conception to, you know, what it is when it is seen by people, I, I, I assume. Yeah. Well, um, especially when I directed as well. Mm. It's sort of seeing how it changes and I guess the way I work is I'm always open to changes. Um, once you get a cast in and you're hearing the words and you go, you know what, this is how we make the story better and it's molding it as it goes and it's just, it's such an awesome experience to have everyone working on it. Yeah. What made you want to start writing? <sighs> um, technically, I started writing pre-kindergarten <laughs> sort of thing storytelling <laughs> that sounds weird but just like short stories yeah things like that and that went through primary school I think I wanted to be a writer at some point there and in high school did English extension and that sort of thing did stories and yeah. plays and things and then I guess with the bachelor of performance it was sort of more acting but Story writing was always sort of in there. And I think partially that came from my family. My grandfather told a lot of amazing stories, true stories. Mm. And my father then would tell stories. So in a way, it's a generational thing of finding a way to tell stories, to connect with people. Yeah, right. And you pick up that over, you know, years and years of hearing them, I suppose. Yeah. Does that, you know, influence 
your writing? Do you tell the kind of stories that your grandfather tells and your father or things like that? Not necessarily, but I pick up things from them and learn things from those stories. Mm. I mean, my um, grandfather worked in law and the stories he told in a way inspired life's contracts, which then inspired two quarters full. Um, just the idea of how imperfect it is, how humid it is. Um, yeah, so I don't necessarily tell the same stories, but just find threads that can be weaved into a new one. Yeah, and Two Quarters Full is your upcoming show that um, you were planning to put on at a limelight, but unfortunately they've uh, they've gone under a little bit. Um, tell us about the show. What's it when in the writing of it? Um, you know, what was that experience like? Yeah, well, I wrote it originally last year. Um, and several things, I guess, kick-started the writing process. I just needed to do something. Mm-hmm. I hadn't written for a little bit. So I, it's a spin-off of Life's Contracts, one of the characters, Christian. And it's his journey. But um, I guess I just wanted to make sure I worked with people I wanted to work with. Yep. And I asked a particular actor what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And he came back with something with romantic thread in it so then i added that's one of the stories within this play it sort of just grew from several ideas sat down pumped it out had a read and then i think i've gone through over 10 drafts um until yeah this year we were finally been able to ready to go yeah Mm, yeah cool and like with the whole um limelight closure you know how have you dealt with that? Uh, I cried. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, my uh, last Tuesday, the produ- my producer emailed me and said, "Look, I've got bad news." And I read it and I just went far out. I yeah. Um, and the next day, I just called all the cast members up um, to let them know. But letting them know, keep on learning your lines. Something will come up. We'll find something. Yeah. Um, and it's just something of, you know, one door closes, another open. Yeah, sure. But I think the main thing was I was upset because I didn't want any of the time of the cast wasted. Yeah. They put yeah. so much effort into it. That's a big uh, thing with, you know, indie theatre because, like, these people, they've got, you know, other lives, other commitments they want to get to. And, you know, they give their time for you and, you know, and if to lose it like that, that's why it was a, a big shock to a lot of the kind of community when they shut down. Um, and there's been such an outpouring of support with like different venues. I'm sure, I don't know if they've contacted you and all the other shows that have been made kind of homeless by the, by the unfortunate circumstances. And really that's all it is, you know, at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah, mm. it's. It's very unfortunate. And yeah, the amount of people that have just found stories out yeah. of place. And a lot of companies don't know who these people are because Facebook pages have gone down and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we've been contacting a lot of those theatre companies that have come out with, please contact us. And it's been amazing to have that support. Um, but same time it's it's one less venue in sydney now. yeah exactly in an already you know cramped and competitive kind of scene yeah and when you know those doors and that space had you know downstairs upstairs weren't they they were opening a new one as well in there and like 
They just renovated the downstairs. Yeah, it's a big hit. It's yeah. Um, you know, it, I I didn't see any warning signs coming up to this, mm. but then knowing the history of the company there, you know. Yeah, and like you hear stories from from this source, and like then there's you know rebuttals and things like that, and it just becomes like a like a internet argument, like a schoolyard kind of thing, and you don't know, like you don't know what to think or no one knows the full story really and you know you just got to take it for what the reality is that you now need a new venue yeah yeah you just got to do what you do there's no point in screaming up and down yeah um yeah you just got to keep on pushing through so you're still feeling optimistic about the show though yeah um i mean look we're we're hoping to nail nail down a venue in the next two three days yeah um we're really hoping for something this end of june um, it's been a bit of a crazy ride with casting and finding time to rehearse, but, um, it's sort of, you know, almost now or never, yeah. like not never, but just in terms of lining up actors and everything else. Yeah, exactly. And like, you can't even plug the show now cause you don't know when it's going to be on. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to be able to say, Hey guys, come you can buy your tickets, can... get them here, do yeah, this, do but... that, come along. But no, it's it's um it's a crazy ride, and there's got to be so many people in the same situation. Oh, definitely. Mm. Um, and I've sort of seen posts from those sorts of people saying, "Sorry, our show's gone down," and yeah. this, that, and it's crazy. And you wonder, in those circumstances, how long they've got to wait because some of these plays, you know, they had a very set window, and that's only when their cast are available. Yeah. Yeah, um, and they've crazy. really locked that in, like from months and months in but advance. Months ago, it's all planned out. Now they've got to change, and also change designs in yeah. a way because it is a very unique space, odd space, yeah, um, and small space. So finding a space, there are similar spaces, but it's different entrances, exits, lighting rigs, etc. Yeah, yeah, for sure. When you're working, um, and you're doing producing, writing, acting, directing, when you're switching between those things, how do you like handle that? How does, what's the mental process to like put yourself in the different, the different hats, so to speak? It's taking one step at a time. It's always one block of, okay, what do we need to do? Yeah. And putting it down into boxes. Um, When I did life's contracts, it was um, script in a way came first directing and yep. then but then while I was doing that I'll take notes on the side of okay we need this um we need that I had set and costume designers there um but it was sort of telling them okay this is where we're at um and that sort of thing Alice was the one I did the big costume and set design for and that really was box boxes going through the actors and yeah. what they want, what they need um, and building up from there. But yeah, it's always one step at a time. You think about multiple things at one time and you just get so stressed out. It's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. What's your um, favorite show that you've done so far? Alice. <laughs> oh, it's Alice. Is it because Alice is in the room producing? No, no. Um, it was just an amazing experience. So you directed that show? I directed that mm. show. Um, it was great. I 
had an amazing cast. I had a cast who we all had faith in each other. Yeah. We all had trust in each other. And even when we were hit with obstacles, we broke through it. Even when there was odd dramas with the stage manager or something else, we (laughs) pulled through. Um, It was was great to just be with a team who also, they contributed things as well, like what if this, what if that. And we're just so excited. Like I'd bring in the costumes and there'd be screams and laughs, laughs and it was just fun. I I, saw, I did see the production and it was it was a lot of fun. It was like set um, Alice through the Looking Glass set against the Nepean River just in the park, um, and it was a really nice day and it was just a good time. There was like kids there and they were all like laughing along and and uh, interacting and that sort of thing. And like from a, you know, outsider industry kind of perspective, I was like, there's a lot of, there's a lot going on there. There's like, you know, all these different costume elements and quick changes for these actors and improv with the like crowd reactions. So like, I genuinely thought it was quite good. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Give you a little, give you a little pat on the back. <laughs> thank you. No, well, it was great. Um, except, you know, the rattle breaking twice the rattle <laughs> the rattle the tweedles had a rattle and i mean it worked with it broken oh like a baby's rattle no like a sports sports rattle wooden one you oh. twirl around oh like um like in the uh if you're in the stands to like yeah. make a lot of noise gotcha yeah gotcha why did that break so much <laughs> uh well the first time the uh two actors on stage the other sarah <laughs> Um, and I think Katie were pulling, pushing and just, yeah, live performance. It just broke. (laughs) You'd Um, think those things would be pretty durable. (laughs) They're not. They're not. The second one was even less so. Um, it was, the handle was thinner and all they had to do was drop it and it just broke. Oh no. Um, and they came all the way from South Australia, I think it was. (laughs) The rattles. Hmm? The rattles yeah. came from South Australia. <laughs> yeah. What? They were the only ones I could find online that were like... So you like express post them? Yes. Oh my God. This is the sort of thing you have to think about like often when you're producing, directing. Yeah, just when things were coming, where you can get them. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, even for this show, just some odd little props and things, finding... I mean, I've been lucky because there's things like gaming controllers. Oh, yeah. And, you know, my brother has broken ones, so we just use those yeah. and things like that. But, yeah, when you find odd ones like the rattle, it is how long will it take? And, to break. Um, yeah. Mm. When it breaks, how quickly can we get a new one? Maybe order more at the beginning. Like, yeah, do but you, then how gotta, much do you anticipate? You've got to look at budget. Yeah. How much? I mean, we had the budget to do it, but if it was a bigger item or expensive item, is it worth getting the second one? And can you fix like it? That? Yeah, mm. can you fix it? Can you get away with it? A lot of the time, it's so much foresight is needed for that sort of thing. And, like, you just can't. Like, you, can, can you really think about all that sort of stuff that far in advance? You try. <laughs> um, no, you, you can't see everything, but you try to go through, well, what can go wrong? Mm. What can we be prepared for? 
Um, I mean, I've got an amazing producer on this show and um, she will mention things on the go of, well, have you looked at this? Have you thought about that? Um, and then we'll talk about things like that. But it's, I'd like to say I could just see in the future and know how everything happens. Yeah. yeah. But you just sort of have to predict and gamble a little bit of how best to handle the situation. Do you prefer working with a producer, do you think? Um, it's been less stressful this yeah. time round because I've had one less hat to... Many hands. ...juggle, um, which has been great. I've been able to focus on the directing aspect of it a lot more. Um, I definitely don't miss it, but it is something I might want to explore further. Yeah, yeah. For like other people or yourself? For myself, um, I think, first up. Yeah. Because um, I definitely see more shows in the future. Um, yeah. Definitely past shows I wouldn't mind remounting, things like that. No, fair enough, fair enough. I think um, a lot of the time when you do start out and when you're trying to make those first works, you don't have another choice, really. I mean, it's kind of a necessity that, you know, we don't really think about and you don't really prepare for, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when you do your, um, when you did all your training, I mean, it was like very focused on acting, like you said. Well, it was a mix of, um, I personally was focused a little bit more on acting, but it was acting, directing, producing. It had all different hats in it. Yeah. Um, but it was only, so one unit of producing and things like that. So it wasn't a main focus. Oh, okay. But you did have like a little bit of an understanding to get. Yeah. You had a little bit of an understanding to get you started, which was great. That was yeah. incredibly helpful. Um, but it doesn't matter how much training you do, doing it for real for is real always. Is a different story. Always with anything really. Exactly. You can read all the books you like, but until you, you know, take yeah. the plunge. Yeah, you can play Dance Dance Revolution, but until you step onto the dance floor in the club, <laughs> every all eyes on you. You you talking from experience? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't even know what Dance Dance Revolution is. I've never heard of it. Right, right. Um, with two quarters full, I want to talk about that a little bit. I want to get an idea of what we're in for when eventually it, uh, <laughs> when it comes, comes along. When it comes. Okay, it's about four young adults. Yep. Um, it's the different ways we handle grief. Yeah. But it is not through, I guess, crying and howling. It's mm-hmm. it got elements of comedy in it. It's got friendship in it. As I mentioned before, there's a bit of a love story in there. Yeah. But it's just how we handle grief in everyday life, from grief of loved ones to the loss of health. Yeah. And other elements. Um, but yeah, s- small elements of comedy and things like that. It's light enough not to get too dark too, and gloomy. Too down. <laughs> I mean, grief is a, it's an interesting theme to take on because like, it's so personal. And like you say, there's so many ways of dealing with it, like with comedy and with, um, you know, uh, eating your feelings and with crying even. But um, it's, it's interesting that you take it in that kind of direction in the, the less so of what you normally would see of like tears and, and, you know, and howling as you, mm. as you put it. 
But um, that's that's very like Greek classical, isn't it? <laughs> the wailing. Yeah, just the over the top wailing and crying. Yeah. And, um, you know, I wanted to. I guess some of the grief stories I've seen on stage have been very emotional, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, sure. But I wanted to explore the other side of it, of the everyday side of it. Yeah. Of, you know, we walk into a supermarket. And what's the chances that the person in front of us is dealing with a loss? Yeah. How they carry it with them every day. Yeah, for sure. And like you, you know, you wouldn't know really unless you were a part of their life. Exactly. Mm. So have you ever experienced like a major loss like that yourself Um, that you kind of drew on in the writing? A few years back, I lost my grandfather. Yeah. Um, he had Parkinson's and other things. Yeah. Um, before he went. And that was, even though we all knew it was going to happen, that still hit hard. Yeah. And... Especially if he was such a, you know, storyteller and sh- shaped you into wanting to be a writer. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. He was always one to encourage... Um, he was amazing like that. He encouraged all his grandkids. He was a very loving person in his own way. Yeah. So, yeah, it did sort of hit hard. Um, and I guess part of that grief is threaded in here in some way as yeah. my own experience. Yeah. And they say theatre is often therapeutic. Do you feel like it's it's kind of, you know, given you some sort of closure or is it kind of a part of that process that's that's ongoing really a little bit i guess yeah. i think it's more making him proud where oh, yeah. he is sort of going i'm still here i'm still doing what i love and i'm still doing something that i know will make you smile yeah oh that's really that's astonishing that's great often you know that is the case you can still feel someone you can still remember them and that's how they live on Back to the writing, you're um, working with ATYP in the future, is that right? Yeah, I'm part of their Fresh Ink uh, mentorship program. Yeah, what's that about? So, four of us from New South Wales and four of us from Perth have all been put together and are under the mentorship of a writer. And in this case, um, I'm working with Jane Fitzgerald, who's the dramaturg of ATYP. Yeah. So we've got two projects. The first one is writing a 15-minute play for three actors. Yep. The second one is 30-minute play with, I think, four actors. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's working together, working out a regular writing practice, how to improve writing and working with the deadline. Yeah. Where do you start out with, like, building a writing practice? Writing every day. Every day? <laughs> every day. It's, yeah. I find that hard to work with mm-hmm. um, and you don't have to write every day. Different people work best on the weekends or some evenings. It's finding the best time for you. What is it for you? It's when I know I've got a block of time free and I make myself write. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes I'll be in the mood, but once you write your first sentence, I find I can just write from there. Right, right. So even if you just you just like force that medicine down the first time... Yeah. You can take the rest of it. I can take the rest of it. Mm. And I I have to accept that it might be the shittest thing I've ever written in my life. Yep. 
but it's there. It but at least it's something you point. wrote. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. And then, so it's a 15-minute play and a 30-minute play. Yes. And then do you pass that off and then that's no longer your baby? Um, after each one, um, so it's um, two months or so between each one, something like that, um, they bring in actors and we do a reading of it, a small reading um, just with friends and what have you and I guess part of it's just seeing where it goes what happens with it um, but yeah just seeing the fruits of our writing rather than sticking it in a drawer yeah just getting to hear it out loud um, yeah this is a this is a new project for me like I haven't heard about it before um, do you know how it came about or anything about it like that um, it started a few years back um, it's for my understanding it's shifted a little bit but ATYP is amazing for supporting emerging artists yeah um particularly writers I did their national studio last year yeah. where we went to Bundanon for a week and pumped out I think that was a nine minute script yeah and just pumping that out in the middle of almost nowhere um it forces you to think and forces you to learn. Um, but, you know, National Studio and Fresh Ink, I think, have been going for a few years now. Shifted, but still the wonderful learning process of working with a mentor. Yeah. When you say a nine-minute script, how do you know it's nine minutes when you're writing it? You estimate. You estimate. Uh, the rule... A lot of people work with is one page is one minute, mm. but that depends on how much uh, stage directions you have. Yeah, uh, and dialogue. The best way, the best way to figure it out is get someone to read it. Um, there are tools apparently online you can look at um, that estimate how long it is. I don't know how they do it. Yeah, does that work with um, playwriting or does it? Apparently, yeah. Apparently, I'm yet to try this out. Oh. Well, maybe you should report back. That's your homework, Ailey. <laughs> so when you write this half an hour piece, how off, how long does it tend to end up being? Would it be the 30 pages? Would it be the... I mean in pages. They're, look, they're looking at me like, I'm, I, half an hour piece, how long is it? It's half an hour, you idiot. <laughs> um, I, I would guess around 30 pages. Yeah. I mean, I'm on the 15-minute 15, 15 piece to start off with. Um, and at the moment it's seven pages. I'm getting there. Yeah. But that's approximately, I would say six minutes, six and a half, just because there is some stage direction, um, and short dialogue. So there's a lot of blank space on the page. And it takes, it takes months to write just 15 minutes worth of play. Um, I think, I don't know how many weeks it's been. I think in three weeks, something like that. We've got another three weeks to go, I think. Yeah. It can take a while because you've got to come up with the idea. Yeah. And then you've got to put it to paper. I mean, a week ago, we sort of met up and said, this is our idea. And I shared mine. And then that's changed since I went to write it out. And then I went, no, I've got a better idea. (laughs) Started (laughs) pumping that out. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then oh, that just adds more time kind of pressure, doesn't it? Because if you've already got something, you go back, delete that, start fresh. And then, you know, who knows? You might change your idea 
six more times. You might. Um, in this case, I'm going to try not to because of the deadline. Yeah. <laughs> I want to make that. But it's always about compromise, uh, especially when a deadline. Um, you have your idea and you try to make it work. And if you say, well, I've got a better idea, if you know you're not going to make it, compromise and say, I can take these elements from that idea and insert it in. Do you think a deadline helps? Yes. Just to like get it done? Yes. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it Once you've got that deadline, you're like, I have to make myself ride. I have to sit down with pen and paper or a laptop and pump this out. Otherwise, there's nothing. Whereas writing my own stuff when I haven't had a deadline, it'll be, you know, oh, I'll just do a little writing today. And then a month later, I'm like, what happened to that? Yeah. Where did that go? <laughs> it's in the drawer. It's in the drawer. It's, you know, that unopened file on the laptop just <laughs> sitting there. And when you, um, you know, start researching and things like, is it you have an idea and then you research that or do you just like do a bit of reading, figure out what you want to write about that way? Like how are you kind of looking for inspiration and then drawing from it? I usually just muck around with ideas in my head first and I just bounce ideas around and then I'll start writing. And if there's something... I don't know. I'll wait till the very end and research it. Yeah. Um, I did Margaret Atwood's masterclass and she was saying just write and then sort of research because once you start researching and you go deep, then your writing's just left oh, no. to the side. So it's better to get all the ideas down. Um, I mean, some people work the opposite. Some people love to research everything and everything is get it done straight away and then go into it but I guess because I'm so character based with my writing I prefer to get that down first what do you mean by character based I work with characters first rather than plot okay so you invent a person yeah so I'll start off with uh for two quarters full for Mm -hmm. example sure um I created a character uh, with a particular actor in mind so I went, okay, I've got an idea for that. Wrote down the key things of they're from England. Yeah. Um, they have a half-sibling. Um, they had this education, that education. And I know that, you know, this particular quality of how they deal with conf- confrontation, something like that. Once I have that in mind. Yeah. And I already had the character of Christian. I would start writing a scene. And I will figure it out as I'm writing where the conflict is. Okay. Where so the plot is. When you start the scene, do you, are you just like picturing these two people in a yeah. blank, empty space? And then you kind of... Yeah, I'll, I'll pitch them just sort of together. And it doesn't matter where it is. It's just somewhere in the void. Yeah. And go, okay... How do they talk to each other? I'll start with lines of dialogue. And then usually by that point, an idea's clicked in my brain about plot and that starts to come out. Is it starting out like fairly mundane? Like if if it was to, like, could you just like give us a little, give us a little taste? Sure. Um, Sometimes it'll just start with something as simple as uh, the coffee's too hot or... I haven't seen you for a while. Yeah. And click from there. Um, sometimes it'll begin from someone's action of just entering a room. 
Um, and then, so if they've been caught in a situation, things like that, like you shouldn't be here or what are you doing here? How did you find me? Yeah. Um, just that sort of starting off dialogue action and then the plot sort of develops from that. Um, I am trying to be a bit more structured with my writing to have a bit more of an outline yeah. uh, in terms of plot to begin with. Do you think you need that? I honestly don't know. But you're just trying it out? Just trying it out. Um, I mean, I haven't found that I've really needed that. But then, you know, once I do write, I'll then come back to a scene and go, why is that scene there? Um, you know, where's the conflict? Yeah. Um, how can you spice it up? How can you spice it up? What do you do? And then, I mean, started off with two characters and then go, okay, well, how? what character do I need to add to, I guess, balance it out? And then... I had sort of characters in the back of my mind that I wanted to bring forward, so I brought them along. Yeah. But, yeah, I always find I start with characters before a story. Rather than situations and that sort of thing. What about um, your acting practices influence your writing? Do you think you have more of an understanding? Because you've learnt a bit of stagecraft, does that help at all? Yes. Yeah? It helps a lot. It helps with my understanding of what actors usually need in terms of, you know, I know how hard it is to do a quick change. I know how hard it is to get down lines. I know how hard it is for someone to adapt to lines being thrown at them the last minute. Mm -hmm. I am conscious of things of how many notes I should be giving someone when they're overloaded. You know, I'm not perfect. I still make mistakes, but I have that understanding of from an actor's point of view. And I try to be considerate in those regards. Yeah. Because I have seen directors who throw their actors straight in and not tell them things like, by the way, the set's going to be like this. Or I'm going to change this whole scene three days before they open. It's very much like, um, it sounds like that old treat others as you would have them treat Treat you you. kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of the, it's very polite of you. (laughs) Yeah, I try to be. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I can be very rude at times, but I try to be very uh, polite. Do you want to be? Go uh, insult times, me. There are times I want to be rude, mm. but ne- never when I'm with actors. It's usually, um, I don't know, once or twice with actors, but not not in this show. <laughs> not in this show. Um, you know, when they come up with something very last minute or by the way, and you're like, okay, thanks for that. I mean, I haven't really had it this show, but you got to be understanding of yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you got to be understanding of everyone's human. Shit happens. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't stop everything from happening. You can't control everything. No, absolutely not. Especially when your venue shuts on you. Especially when your venue <laughs> shuts down. You know, it's just like, well... Uh, it's uh, such a good... Uh, it's such a spicy drama too. Oh, my God. Uh, it was just, uh, and just finding out that night and then the next morning, it already started putting on Facebook and I'm trying to get hold of all of my cast members being like, I just want to get to you in time. Before they see it. Before they see it and... My favourite reaction, though, was okay. from Sean. And it was Not me. later in the morning and he'd just woken up and I told him and he laughed. 
have the best reaction. I'm like, I can handle that. I can handle that reaction today. And he's like, wow, okay, well, what do we do? I'm like, okay, well, this is what we're doing now. But it, it's just a nice, nice, positive, weirdly positive reaction to... It's like the way um, people handle grief. Yes, exactly. They handle it in different ways. It's everywhere. Uh, you, you, you see people getting the most devastating news and they laugh because mm. that's the only way they can respond in that moment. And then people get upset. Why are you laughing? This is serious. It's like, well, this is this is how I handle it. Yeah, exactly. Do you want to add anything? Did you want to, Did you? Was there anything you wanted to say that we missed out on, or? I'm just trying to think. There's live music in the play. <laughs> There's live music. There's live music. <laughs> An actress is in it who's never played the guitar before, and she has to play the guitar for this one. <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. I have nothing. Else. <laughs> That's it. You That's have it. no more things to say no li- ever to say. in your life. So, okay. So, shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Eileen. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, this has been the Indie Setup. Thanks for listening. <laughs>